Welcome to the Brett Boone Podcast as we explore the mind of former MLB All-Star, Silver Slugger, and Gold Glove winner Brett Boone as he sits down with his friends from the world of professional sports. On this episode of the Boone Podcast, Brett sits down with one of the greatest catchers of all time, Hall of Famer, Pudge, Yvonne Rodriguez. Here's your host, Brett Boone. Welcome to the Boone Podcast. I'm Brett Boone, and today on the program, we welcome a 13-time Gold Glove winner. He was the American League MVP in 1999 and is a member of the Baseball Hall of Fame. Ladies and gentlemen, Yvonne Rodriguez. Pudge, thanks for coming on the program. Grant, thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Good to be here. I didn't know this. You, you got to make sure I'm saying this right. You were a shadow member of the U.S. House of Representatives from Puerto Rico in 2017 and 18, representing the 115th district. Is that correct? Well, I was I was doing the best that I can, and it wasn't kind of any any politics, uh, right? It was kind of like for me trying to bring the best uh, for Puerto Rico at the time. Uh, obviously, uh, as you know, and, and, and in baseball, no, one of my, my good friends was uh, Mr. Porter, President Bush at the time. He was, you know, he used to be my, my boss when I came up in 91. And in doing, doing that, you know, when I'm in Texas, uh, some of the games that, that I watch, you know, being with him sitting very close to me or, or next to me. And we start to having that conversation. But basically it wasn't it wasn't like really what what they what they talking about. Basically um I was I was part to bring a solution or something better for Puerto Rico to become better uh as a Puerto Rican. You know, as we know as you know we are part of the US anyway. But uh, but I was trying to help uh, the best that I can at the time doing that. Uh, unfortunately, uh, it came out to some good and some negative uh, talk with the people in Puerto Rico. But at the end, you know, I was trying to help and, and I step out and I just continue to do what I do right now, which is I'm in the business world. That's what I do business and I'm bringing some great businesses into Puerto Rico at this moment. Yeah, very cool. It, it, to me, if anything, because you know this this podcast, we're going to talk about Pudge and his career, but that was interesting to me. And I'm thinking that, you know, that might have been an educational process. And then once you get in, you, like you said, you're like, no, it's it's not something that I'm into. I, I, I'd get back into the business world. And <laughs> I'm kind of with you, but it was interesting to me thinking, well, we go from there to dabbling in Washington, D.C., and, you, you know, you just watch on a daily basis the stuff going on. And, and I can see why you'd be like, nope, I don't need any of that crap. But anyway, that was that was interesting to me, and, and I thought I'd bring that up out of the gate. Okay, born in Puerto Rico, raised in Vega, Baja. Hope I'm saying that right, Puerto Rico. Dad was a construction worker. Mom was a was a teacher. I want to hear about a young, young pudge coming up. Uh, what was it like growing up in Puerto Rico? And, and uh, just talk to me about your childhood. Oh, yes. Uh, growing out, growing out as a child in Puerto Rico, uh, obviously I, I, I grew up in a great family that we all uh, played sports. Uh, 
and rent, uh, you know, my, my parents play ball. I have a brother that plays baseball, but they, but the good thing that my family did to us, to me and my brother, we, we was able to participate in, in, multi, in multiple sports. You know, we played basketball, we played volleyball, we played a lot of sports in Puerto Rico, even, even, even baseball as well that we play. And then, uh, the great thing that they, they, that they have from, you know, to us that they support every sport that we're playing to we decide basically uh, the sport that we play. I used to play, uh, I used to play uh, baseball at the age of 12, 13. Then I, I put everything else uh, on the side. But everything starts, you know, send great parents at home, discipline, uh, you know, teaching us the right way uh, to become a great human beings, uh, uh, you know, in life. And basically that was one of the most important things. That's great because I know how, how big uh, baseball is in Puerto Rico. Um, you know, I just came back from a weekend. I got a chance to go back to we had a Cincinnati Reds Legends game and doing my research uh, for this show. Uh, Johnny Bench was your favorite player growing up. I, I guess there was a lot of a lot of Cincinnati Reds games that were were uh, telecast in Puerto Rico, uh, and I just I just got to spend some time with Johnny. Um, talk about that a little bit. I know Juan Gon. You grew up uh, with in, in your childhood well, well, with Juan Gon, and ended up being a teammate. Yeah, let me tell you the, yeah, let me tell you the reason that we that we love the Cincinnati Reds so much in Puerto Rico is because back in the day when I grew up. We watch a lot of Cincinnati uh, games because Tony Perez. And, uh, and uh, Tony Perez, even though that Tony is from Cuba, but he left Cuba at a very early age and 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 went to Puerto Rico and 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 and, be, and, and, and he lived in Puerto Rico uh, pretty much in today all his life. And basically, one of the reasons that that we see that is because they. Uh, because Tony, obviously, uh, great, great team, you know, the, the very famous Red Machine, uh, you know, that we always love to watch. And basically, one of the reasons that I become a, a very good fan of uh, a Johnny Bench was because, uh, obviously, because I watched him catch, you know, when I was little. Yeah, pretty pretty good guy to watch growing up. Um, so at sixteen, and and this is always interesting to me. Most of us at sixteen years old, Pudge, we are sophomores in high school. You're signing a professional contract with the Texas Rangers, and you're gonna and you're gonna come over, and you're gonna start your professional career. I couldn't imagine at sixteen doing that. At eighteen, you know. After my senior year in high school, I got drafted. I ended up going to college. But to be a 16-year-old, I don't know how I would have handled it. How was that for you, leaving home? Uh, did you get homesick? And, and tell me what it's like. Was there a language barrier when you were 16? Uh, tell me what was that like, your first camp in professional baseball? Well, uh, well, everything, everything that did just that, uh, Brett, happens to me yeah i get home i got homesick i obviously my language was uh, no good i mean i can say it was zero zero language uh zero english for me 
but again, you know, I I signed at the age of 16 because obviously I I love baseball and I was a dream uh, from me since little kid that I want to become a professional baseball player and I want to become a major league baseball player one day. And basically, when I when I got the chance with the with the Rangers when I was 16 at the time, I think that was in 1980, 1987, 88, something like that that I signed. Uh, yeah, I mean the contract wasn't that good that day. wasn't pretty much nothing. I just took it for the opportunity. Uh, obviously, you know it was a need uh, for 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 me and the family. Obviously. Uh, you know, I have some, uh, I was having some couple of, uh, uh, schools that they want me to come to U.S. and, and, and go to school. But basically at the time, my mind was to be professional baseball. And, and at the time, I came in, I came to spring training. I started to learn the language. Obviously, as a catcher, you have to, you have to speak and you have to learn the, the language quick. So you can communicate with the uh, with the pitchers and with your teammates, and uh, and basically I did that. You know, I paid a lot of attention to that. Uh, we have uh, mandatory English classes and spring training uh, every day from six to eight o'clock, and I was there every day and basically read it all and 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 I just learned the basics and the basic was it that basic. Uh, English that I speak during the time, it helped me to get better in my, in my in my language, and I and I can start communicate better. Pudge, I'm interested in this too. Okay, so you know, I, I you start to get aware of scouts. You know, in high school baseball, the scouts are going to start to come out. They, you know, who they're looking at. Uh, you know. And after your senior year, you get drafted. For you, it was different. Okay, you signed when you were 16 years old. When's the first time a young Pudge knew that, hey, the scouts are here to see me. They're interested in me, watching me to be a professional, something that's been your dream your whole life. When did you notice that in Puerto Rico? Well, we, we, well I, I knew that really early. I think that was, I was start seeing that when I was uh, in the beginning, you know, like, Beginning of fifteen, probably through all through through the whole year of my age of fifteen, and then sixteen. Basically, I signed a little late, a little later when I was sixteen. And the reason why that was because I was a, a in a very good uh, baseball academy in Puerto Rico called Raider Raider Baseball Academy, and that. That academy at the time was the best in Puerto Rico. Uh, they recruit a lot of great players, kind of like the elite players at the time. And basically, we have a lot of great players. And every time we play, everywhere we go around the island or travel, you know, outside of Puerto Rico, a lot of scouts come uh, watching us play. Because obviously uh, the, the the coaches, the coaching staff, the academy have, they all played professional baseball before. They all played major league baseball before, and plus the uh, the the owner of the academy at the time was Luis Rosa, and Luis Rosa worked for the Texas Rangers for many many years. 
play in the Sally League at the age of 17. How was that first minor league season for you? Right. In Gastonia. Was it the, is in the Sally League? Yeah, that's what was the, my first. Yeah, my first. Uh, my first season was yeah. Uh huh. It was the uh, the low way and play with the uh, Gastonia. And I was playing there the whole yeah the whole year. And then the second year I went to Florida State League. And then the the third year. I mean, not not even a third year. You know, the the, the third season I just played one month in Tulsa. Oklahoma. Then I can- there we go. All right, Andy. buddy, buddy. Let's do it one more time for the money. All right, hold on. Yeah, Pudge, just pick it up from you were getting to the Oklahoma, and Dan, Dan can he can crop it wherever he needs to crop it. But in your third, you you were saying in your third well, year yeah, was yes, Oklahoma. I, 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 yeah, I was. Uh, I started in in, in Gastonia. My first season in Manly was Gastonia. The second year was in Florida State League. And then the last, the third year, which is I played one month, was in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And then I got called up uh, in June 19 or 91. And, and what people, this is, this is a pretty awesome story. 19 years old. You're catching in the big leagues. Nowadays, you know, in recent times, when when me and you, Pudge, came up to the big leagues, it was pretty rare for a 19-year-old to come up to the big leagues that early. Ken Griffey Jr. did it at 18, but that was that was very rare, especially a catcher. And the fact that you're in the big leagues at 19, and all of a sudden you're catching Nolan Ryan, Kevin Brown, Bobby Witt, and two years ago, you were you were in Puerto Rico. You're a high school kid. Well, that had to be unbelievable. Well, it is. It was. It wasn't unbelievable. But the great thing was, to be honest with you, the reason that I, you know, that that I picked it up really quick in the big league is because I was working with those great pitchers at the, at, you know, at, at that year. You know, be able to catch Kevin Brown, obviously, as one of the best pitchers in the game at the time. Nolan Ryan, imagine, I mean, Hall of Famer, obviously, you know, a legend. You know, Jose Guzman, Kenny Rogers, you know, Bobby Witt, all those guys, to me, uh, you know, to be honest with you, they make my job uh, very easy because, obviously, I, I, I take – the game behind the play very seriously, and the great thing that they saw from me since day one was that I was, you know, reading a lot of stuff and and seeing things and and go over with what I think could be uh, the best, you know, uh, uh, pitching sequence for those pitches at the at the time. But basically, uh, they helped me a lot. Doing you know the first couple of months, and then when they start, when I start to know every single one of them, you know we start to working really good, and and uh, and I again you know that's how I become you know the great catcher because obviously I love to study the game. I always wanted to you know to read stuff, you know make myself better day in and day out, looking to the most information. That I that I can have, go to the video and see it. So I, 
so I can be better player and also helping my teachers and my teammates. Pretty cool team, and I remember those teams. I mean, you got uh, Juan and, and Rafi Palmero, Julio Franco, one of my favorites, uh, Ruben Sierra, he was a teammate of mine. You mentioned Kevin Brown. You know, everybody knows the Nolan Ryans, uh, and, and, and people know Kevin Brown. He was underrated, man. In his day, Kevin Brown, tell, tell the people listening to the Boone Podcast how nasty Kevin Brown was. He would just seem like well, he'd rear well, back Kevin, and throw that nasty 95-mile-an-hour sinker and just keep throwing it. Well, I'm, I'm going to tell you from me behind the plate and me as the hitter because I've, I, I did both against him. And, and to me, he was one of the most difficult Okay, uh, even even to me behind the play, very very difficult uh, pitcher to catch because his sinker, you know, his sinker was really really filthy, kind of like a really really tough to hit, and and Brent, you know it because you face him a million times, and it wasn't it was not easy to hit, but as but. Just me behind the plate, the way that I look, the, the the sinker looks to me like a like a slider from a left-handed pitcher, okay? And it's a right-handed coming. And you're talking about 95, 96 with big, big sink, you know, coming down, middle, middle down and in. I mean, it's just kind of hard for me as behind the plate to, to receive it. To, you know, I, I have to change my... Uh, my uh, my my positions, you know, when he pit, when he catch behind the plate, I have to bring my my front knee a little bit forward more than what I used to do it to be able to to have my left knee away from my uh, my left elbow because I don't want my I don't want my elbow to get stuck in my knee because if I do that, it's gonna broke my wrist. So to me, the the most the more in front and the more free that I was with him, the better, better for me to catch it. But the the way you know he threw that pitch, it was it was amazing. And all the starts that I catch, Kevin Brown, he can tell you if you talk to him one day, he can tell you that I was at least eighty five, almost ninety percent of the pitches that he throw was sinker right down the middle because I don't need to call any other pitch because that pitch was so good that he doesn't need to throw anything else. No, I agree with you. There's only a handful of, of, of pitchers, you know, that I've ever faced that if they, if they had to on a given night, they could throw fastball every pitch and still win that game. And, and there's only a handful of guys. Kevin Brown, when he had that nasty sinker working, he could tell you every pitch I'm throwing sinker, and he still had a good chance of, of beating you that game. And I can't think of too many other guys other than him. Well, absolutely. I mean, there's two, there's two guys, but they're, they're talking about one guy only, and it's Mariano Rivera. You know, Mariano Rivera, Mariano Rivera threw one pitch. It was the, the cutter. cutter. <laughs> it was the cutter, okay? And he threw that 100 Almost a hundred percent all the time. You know, the the, yep. the, the quarter ends to left, the quarter in to lefties, and the and and the and the, and the from hip quarter to righties and, and middle away. But Kevin Brown did the same thing. You know, he just threw 
pretty much, you know, 85, almost 90% was sinker. He just only needs to throw a strike and keep it right, you know, above, above bell high, because that's the pitch that he was, that he was looking for, bell high, and then that's the one that go down away and, and the hitters swing it on a ball and now on a ball down and in. That's how nasty that sinker was. He has to release it pretty much bell high to the, to the hitters. And that's the one that goes away from the strike zone. I got to ask you, after catching Kevin for those years, when you faced him, how'd you do off? Uh, well, as, as, a, as a hitter, I don't know, but I don't know, be, I don't know if because I catched him for so long. When I was, when I was a hitter, it, it, it wasn't kind of like really, really difficult because I was an inside-out hitter my whole career. And to me, that was one of the pitches that I'm looking for when I was hitting. You know, the sinker, because my bat was going into the, into that direction, and basically what I was just trying to do, basically, is be on time, obviously. And, and I put the ball in play a lot against him, against him, but it, it, it didn't look. The reason that I was just wanted to talk about both sides of the game from him, because me as a hitter, I see, I see it like one of the pitches that I'm looking for that he throws, he throws to me pretty much of the time. And basically, I was, I was playing pepper with him. And with his feet, I just put the, the ball in play and, and get some, get, get some hits off him. But basically, because I was an inside out hitter, I make a lot of contacts with him. 1992, you make the all-star team. Uh, as a 20-year-old. And from 92 to 2001, there wasn't a year that you didn't make the All-Star team, 10 in a row. Uh, how was your first all when you got the call and, and how cool was it? Uh, your dream slowly, you get to the big leagues, that's your first dream. Now, you know, I could just tell in my career and I always wanted to be a player and then I made a player. But when you get that first All-Star game call and say, hey, you made it, uh, how was that for you? Well, it was, it was an amazing moment. It was an unbelievable experience. You know, got in there, got into the clubhouse and basically looked to my left and looked to my right and see all those superstars in the same clubhouse. And and I just looking at, around it, I said, well, this is the best of the best in one clubhouse. And, and just me be able to just to be there as, as a young kid, you know, see Cal Rick and see all those guys uh, there, Kirby Pocket, I mean, all those superstars already veterans, uh, you know, in the big leagues, and me be part of, you know, and an all-star game and in the best game there is baseball, be there in the same club, it was, it was an amazing experience. And, and just, you know, I remember then, I was this little kid that I was sitting in in my locker, look from one side to another, and just go out and and see all the ceremonies and and hit batting practice with all those guys and and just be able to participate in that line and 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 be able to catch for a few innings and fortunately you know they were just kind of like 
we, you know, I think I got a, I got a hit, I got a hit that day to right center, and I just got throw out in, in, in third base. I was trying to extend a little bit my, my, my grinning, and I got I, I, I throwing out in third base that it'd be okay in second base, but that's that's all that's all the all star game is all about. And so I have a great moment. I spent a great time. My first one, and look, I play in 30 more All-Star games after that one, and all the All-Star games feel the same. I think that's awesome because, I, you know, you see once in a while where, where a player just says, oh, I'm not going to go to the All-Star game this year, and I just think, wow, uh, I didn't make 13 All-Star I don't, games. I don't, I, don't understand, I don't understand why they don't want to go. I mean, that's, that's to me one of the most beautiful places as a baseball player that you, that, you know, that you want to be, you know, you've been recognized by the league, you've been recognized by the fans, you, they want you to be there. There's, there's only 20, there's only 30, 30 players that can be in that room. And I mean, why not? Right. So I just, to me, you know, I had the privilege to, to be in 14 of those and those 14 all-star days, all-star game that I participate, it was it was a blast. It, I was having a, such a great time. And even though then when my kids start to grow up, and especially my son, the one that plays right now uh, with the Rockies, uh, professional baseball, you know, he was in the clubhouse. He was in the dugout with me doing those games. And, you know, he, he, you can ask him how happy and how, you know, how <laughs> – impressed he was when he was having the uniform next to all those superstars in that same room. Yeah, it's it's pretty awesome. I mean we're we're lucky yeah, enough you, to you, play. you you had that feeling too. Yeah we we're lucky enough that. we're lucky enough to play this game at the level that we played it at. You were the absolute exception going to fourteen, playing twenty plus years in the big leagues. That's that's very rare, but I'll I'll even you know I'll I'll guess here but i'm thinking you're probably thinking it went pretty quick even though you played a long time and you don't get that time back and and just to look back at those memories and and all those all-star clubhouses you got to go in uh you know but i don't I know I, I, I just tell the kids today you know enjoy what you have because it will be over one day this ride will be over so stop and, and smell the roses whenever you can and, and appreciate what you get to do for a living because one day you're really going to appreciate it and i think that's cool I, I i can't get over why people don't go to the all-star game it's like Wow, this is an honor to go to the All Star Game. It just just well, eat just, up every I just, moment. I I just say don't don't miss what you don't want to say when you're not playing anymore that you should done. Yeah, you know. So I think to me, more the more that you can enjoy this game, the better because you 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 great you made a great point, man. You made a great point, baseball goes by really quick. And and sometimes you don't know how many years you have in the big league because we play we play a a in a sport that is the same routine every year and sometimes year goes by and you still go through the same routine, working out, prepare yourself in the season, prepare yourself for four and a half months before you grab a bat in the season, go to the cage, hit, throw, go to spin training, 
you know, be there at 730 in the morning, you know, eating breakfast with your teammate, go out, play the game, play 38 games, and, you know, it's, it's a grind. I call that is a grind, grind season. But goes by really quick. I mean, I, I I'm gonna be honest with you. I played, I played this game for 21 years, and feels to me like it went like really quick. And and, and you're right. You made a great point because it goes by really quick. Yeah, and and uh, you know when we're playing, we think it's because you say that grind. It is such a grind. You know, I always told people sometimes I didn't stop and and enjoy it because I got to worry. I got Pedro tomorrow, and then on Thursday we're facing Randy Johnson, and my swing stinks right now, and I got to fix it. So sometimes I didn't get a chance. You know, we're grinding so hard. It's like no, what, I'll I'll enjoy it later. I got to get my swing fixed because these guys are going to embarrass me if I'm not on the top of my game. But you're you right. Know, we think you know we're going to play because, forever. You know why? Because you don't want to change your zoom. You always want to be the same. I'm going to hit it. I will <laughs> That's <hit> right. It. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to hit it, and I'm going to hit it so hard that you won't believe. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to jump to 95. Uh, first year, you hit 300. You hit 303. And another, you know, uh, start of a streak for Pudge. Uh, you would hit 300 eight years in a row after that. Was there something special to that 300? I just had George Brett on the show uh, a week, a couple weeks ago. And I was talking about, you know, he's a 305 career hitter or something like that. And I said, especially in today's game, 2021, they're not, they're de-emphasizing the average. And, And I get so mad at that because, because as you know, you did it. A lot of times in your career, I think you hit 300 10 times. It's really uh-huh. hard to do, let alone as a career 300 hitter is people don't understand how good that is. When you hit 300 for a year, wow, that's great. You do it for a career, that's unbelievable. And I think in today's game, maybe they're cheapening it a little bit. And, and I take offense to that because I know how hard it is. I only hit 300 a few times, but I know how hard it is. And the guys that did it for a career – it's unbelievable, and, and I hate to see it cheapened or de-emphasized in today's game. Well, what do you think? Today, well, baseball changed today, but believe me, there are some players in the big league today that they really, really wanted to hit 300, for sure. They really do. They really do. Those are, those are the guys that, you know, they, they, they stay inside of the ball more, make more contact, they don't wanted to hit the ball out of the ballpark all the time. But yeah, I mean they're not they're not concentrate right now. They don't pitch right now to hit three hundred. And to me it's 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 to, to hear that because when you hit three hundred means that you on base a lot. And if you on base a lot you're gonna score a lot of runs for your team. Right? And so if you have if you have let's say you know, if you have, let's say, nine nine batters, let's say four of them in your lineup, okay, that they're hitting over 300, you're going to score four runs at least every day. Minimum. Minimum. With a good pitcher, a bad pitcher, you, you, because those guys are going to put the ball in place and something is going to happen during the game that those guys are going to produce, the 300 hitters. But if you have a 210, 190, 240, 
yeah, he has 26, 20, 30 home runs. But you got more tendency to get those guys out with pitches more a belt, you know, belt high, chest high, that you need a pop-up in the infield for an out. Instead of they have guys like Edgar Martinez, which is, I hate that guy when he was there, you know, on the play with the game is on the line. That was one of the hardest guys for me to get him out. No, I didn't have have no pitch for him to get him out. Every single pitch that I throw to him, he make contact or foul it off until he get a pitch that he wants to. those, those Those are the 300 hitters that I think they should be in the game. And, yeah, I mean, to me, I have, yeah, you know, ten, you know, almost yeah, ten years over three hundred. But I never, I never look to hit three hundred. I was looking to put the ball in play and make sure I, you know, I hit the ball, I hit the ball good. And I think probably that's the reason that I, that I was so good offensively because I never, I never think about it. I focus a lot in my defensive part of the game than my offense. And my offense was I put my batting gloves on and I just go out there and get a good pitch to hit and put the ball in play. The good thing that I have at that time was that I was a very good inside-out hitter and I stayed inside of the ball. And those are the things that you got to teach in today's game. Uh, you want to keep this kid with this power inside-out instead of to pull the ball and hit home runs 500 feet to left or right I wanted to see if 390 feet or 375 feet counts the same if you have a good swing. And I think that way you can, you can raise that average, you know, 30, 40, 50 points and guess how many RBIs or runs batted in you're going to get with those points in the average. Those are the things that I think I wanted to see it a little bit more in the big league. We did that. When we play, we play, we played baseball in a different era. Our era was that yes, we hit, we hit the ball for power, but we steal bases. We move the guy over. We bunt the ball when we need to, right? And then the big guy comes with many scoring position and bring it in. You don't see that today in the game of baseball. And you bring up a good point. You talked about Mariano Rivera a little bit earlier and, and, you know, you have this argument with people and they say, well, on base percentage, you know, it's it's important. And on base percentage is important. Uh, there, it is an important aspect in the game. But you get that guy up in the ninth inning against a Mariano Rivera, who, by the way, is not going to walk you. I want no. the guy hitting 300 up, not the 210 with the high on base percentage. I want the 300 hitter up there. Because I know he's got a chance to get a hit, and that guy hitting two ten, chances of him getting a hit off Mariano with the, with the game no on the chance. line probably aren't too good. No chance. Just think about how many games Mariano has played in our era. Imagine pitch him now. Just just forget it. I mean, it could save eight hundred games. To be honest with you, no running, no running. It's just. I'm gonna pitch the ball bell high. And I'm gonna broke back. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make, <laughs> I'm gonna make money to bat company because that's what he's gonna do. Break back. 
99. You hit 332 with 30, 35 homers and 113 ribbies. You win the MVP. Talk about that year. A special year. Uh, very uh, – a year that, you know, sometimes, you know, it, it happens to you too because you have so many great seasons yourself too. And, and, and some of those seasons when you have – a year like that seems like everything comes to your way, right? It's just like everything, uh, you know, uh, you can wait to start the next game when you finish the game before because you feel so good. You feel so great at the play. You feel so good playing baseball that you just, you just want to, you just want to compete. And basically that year, was a very durable year. I played, well, I think that was the most amount of game that I played in my career was in 99. I think with with the playoff, I think I was almost catch 158, almost, almost 160 game that year behind the plate in 99. And, and basically offensively and defensively was great. You know, I was you know, I work. I work good in the season. I I put a lot of uh, a lot of work in my hitting with Rudy Jaramillo. I came early and I started working with him. I I find something really good that I remember with uh, you know with my bottom hands through the strike zone really quick to stay more inside out and that ball start to spinning really well and. And, you know, I was hitting some home runs uh, before that year, but I never, never got it into no, into no more than 26, 27. But to be able to hit 35, that because I feel I, 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 I find that tough spin kind of like inside out tough spin. And I just start to pull in the ball a little bit more. That year, with hanging pitches, instead of the staying side out, I was taking the advantage of, you know, of pulling a little bit more and and be able to pull the hanging pitches to left field for home run. And, but basically, it was a year then you never forget everything comes the right way. The team plays really good. We make the playoffs. We're winning over 93, 94 games that year. And, and when you play with a winning team, you're always going to do things good. Don't matter if it's you individually or as a teammate, but you're always going to end up doing a good job every day. All right, Pudge, then we jump to 2002. You've been a, a kid with the Texas Rangers from 16 years old, coming from Puerto Rico, and you're going to move on and sign a one-year deal with the Marlins how tough was that for you to leave somewhere you called home for pretty much your whole, well, your whole professional career? Well, basically it was, it was hard, you know, because in the, I, I started my career there when I was 16 years old and basically I played there into uh, 2002, which is a play around, I say probably 12, 13 seasons there, but, uh, sometimes you got to be ready for this kind of uh, situations. Uh, uh, almost happens to me before, uh, earlier in my career, that I almost got traded to the Yankees. 
for a few players. I think it was Andy Pettit and Posada. And basically, I had a decision at, at that time. They come to the office and meet with Tom Schieffer at the time and say, look, I wanted to stay as the Rangers. I don't want to go anywhere. And, uh, and I end up in a, a five-year contract, which is that's the five-year that ends in 2002. And after that, I knew that the Rangers are going to a different directions. Uh, they wanted to bring some more players uh, from the minor leagues, and I understand that. And so I just I was ready. I was starting to prepare myself to to be in the, in the free agency. You know, unfortunately, that year was one of the toughest uh, year as far as uh, because the economy at the time was kind of kind of going to a tough times, and teams don't uh, doesn't wanted to you know sign long term contracts. And basically, I took the chances to sign a one-year contract with the Marlins pretty much in January, almost almost a few weeks, two weeks ago before spring training. And basically, I said, you know what, I'm going to stay home. I, I live here at the time. I was having my kids around. And so I just took uh, that contract. And my God, that was, that was one of the best contracts I had, you know, stay home and you know, go travel, go on the road, come back home and play, play here in Miami. And then in the second half, we start to pick it up. You know, we start to play good baseball and end up winning the wall card and, 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 and go to the playoff. And what a place you picked, you know, 2003. Uh, you got to play for, you were the NLCS MVP. You got to play for, uh, an old manager of mine I played for in Cincinnati, Jack McKeon. And uh, what an unbelievable year it, it was for you in 03. Yeah, absolutely. Jack McKeon, when he came uh, replacing uh, uh, our manager, uh, he came and basically just bring a lot of energy. You know, as you know, he, he brings that big cigar all over the clubhouse and everywhere on the field and kind of like we know what Jack is, and so we, you know, we liked our, his presence all the time, and so he was a very supportive person uh, in the clubhouse and on the dugout and cheering for everybody. He was, you know, we feel like he was another teammate to us, and basically that was one of the key for us to continue playing to play hard, you know, and the playoff, you know, we win it, we win the wild card, and then we start to uh, to play the playoff, and basically what helping us, Brett, was uh, we play as the underdog, you know, we we did nobody expecting us to be there, and that kind of helped us a little bit more because we don't have nothing to lose, you know, we we facing the Giants in the first round, and the Giants are the was the you know the team to beat you know that was the team that's supposed to be winning the World Series and we eliminated them in in four or five games and then we went to the Cubs and and did the same thing you know we just we just go out there and have fun go out there do the best that we can you know day in and day out every game and we end up winning the series in seven games and beat 
and beat the best two pitchers uh, in game six and seven, which is we beat uh, Mark Pryor in game six and, and Kelly, uh, Kelly Wood uh, in game seven, you know, two of the best pitchers in the game. And then we went to the Yankees, and I think probably what we – what we did that we win the series was that we win the first game at Yankee Stadium, and I think to I think that game for us was the you know the tone just to be able to continue and play the series, that series that way we played. Yeah, that was awesome. In '03, I was in the booth and and I I did that that big series. Uh, with Boston, New York. And when New York moved on, they went to face you. And I kind of, you know, I, uh, my brother was playing, playing for the, that Yankees team. So I, yeah, and uh, your brother was, your brother was there. He plays a little, a couple of, couple of times throughout. <laughs> yeah. So I had, I had a little bit of an interest. So I remember that world series. Well, um, so you move on to Detroit. You're an all-star four more times. And, and in 2009, it, I, I was interested to see if this was, was important. You go back and play winter ball for the first time to get ready for the WBC. Was that right. something that was important to you? Was it cool going back to winter ball? Well, you know, I played I play winter ball. Uh, my, my 21 years right, that I played in Major League Baseball, I mean, the season here – in the U.S., out of those 21, I played, I say, probably 14, 13 or 14. Oh, I, I didn't know you played years. that many times. No, I played 13, 14, 15 years doing those 21 years because, look, I, I think it's good for players to be able to have that available. I always, I always said to young kids, look, if you can play a few games in the off season, you should go, you should go and play and work in things that you need to work on, so you can get better for the next season. And basically, that's that's what I did in in, in winter ball. Plus, Puerto Rico winter ball is one of the best baseball in winter that you can play on. You know, it's not a it's not an easy league. Back in back in my days, when I was playing there, I mean, there was a lot of big leaguers play there in the month of December and then January playoffs. So we have two months of great baseball, which is we have a lot of big leaguers at the time and a lot of big league pitchers pitching in Puerto Rico also doing their work. And that helped my career a lot, you know, because I didn't have much uh, problems in spring training, tried to get my swing, tried to get my time and all that. So I was pretty much come ready to go in spring training. But, uh, but yeah, you know, back to your question. Yes. Uh, 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 when I, after I went there in 2003, I went to Puerto Rico because I just want to prepare myself to play uh, the WBC representing Puerto Rico in the World Baseball Classic. And that was the uh, uh, second time, first, second time that I was participating. And I was really excited to represent my my country, my island as as a Puerto Rican, you know, put in the uniform, the Puerto Rico uniform, wear the, you know, Puerto Rico name in my chest. So to me it was the one of the best things and one of the best idea I did because I don't want to get there like out of shape or 
you know, with other timing. I just wanted to go to win the ball, get some Maya bats, and be ready for the World Baseball Classic. Very cool. And that was a really big year for you. I remember, Pudge, my uh, Carlton Fisk, and you know this, Carlton Fisk passed my dad for the all-times most games caught list. And in that year, Yvonne Rodriguez passes the other Pudge <laughs> for most all-time <laughs> games caught. Was was that a cool night for you? Yeah, it was, uh, it was a very cool night. And uh, you mentioned two two players and two great friends and two great persons that I respect in the black, which is your daddy's first. And, and Calton is, you know, is there too. Uh, you know, I spend a lot of time with your father when – you know, with the Rangers organization, and we have a lot of conversations together. And also, custom fits, you know, when, uh, when we play against uh, in the big leagues, and now, you know, when we spend, uh, you know, time in, in, in Cooperstown, you know, the years that we go there. But, uh, but being able to play that many games, I don't think it's not, I mean, what your dad and Calton did in baseball is, Unbelievable! I know that I passed, you know, I passed them, but to play over over two thousand games behind the plate, it doesn't matter if you're in the first, second, or third. It's a lot of games anyway. Okay, it's just a lot of games. That being that, you are durable baseball player. You are a durable catcher. You never get hurt, and on top of that, you love the game of baseball. And basically. That's what we did. That's what I did. That's what your dad did. That's what Captain Fitz did. We just go out there, you know, or no hurt, you know, feeling 50% physically good or 100% physically good. We are back. We are back there and we are the lineup trying to win for our, for our, for our baseball team. I'll tell you, and Bob Boone is a big fan of yours because I know, and I was this way too, with second baseman, I'm very critical of other second basemen. I watch them like a hawk. And my dad is that way. He's very particular and he watches the catchers and he really studies even the, you know, the current guys. For Bob Boone to give you this type of praise, he said, Pudge Rodriguez is the best catch throw catcher in the history of the game he single-handedly changed the game by shut the running by shutting the running game down now a lot of people have said that about you i know i said that about you but coming from my dad a real he's a proud guy for him to say that uh that's a big deal well i appreciate i know i mean uh, he told me that in person uh, a few times and and obviously we you know, Bob and I, we sit down a lot in some of our, you know, our players in spring training. And he mentioned also uh, the way that I play the game of baseball. And that's why I have so much respect uh, for him. Because I was, I'd say the same thing back, you know, when we all sitting together. Because obviously that's the name of the game. You know, when you have a great discipline and you care about, your position and you care about the uniform that you were at the time and you respect your teammates, obviously you're going to, you're going to end up having a great career. And basically Bob did that. I did that. Carlton did that. And plus all the catchers that already played the game, they did the same. And the, and the current catchers that they're doing right now, 
trust me, they're trying to do uh, the same. But I think to me, the key for me, Brent, was I think that's the the love and and the passion that I had to play the game. I grew up that way. I come from Puerto Rico. Like uh, like I said before, when we start uh, this conversation, you and I, I mean, Puerto Rico love baseball. And I love baseball since seven years old. And I still love it. Uh, baseball today, and I'm going to be 15 in in a month. I still love it. I'm a, I'm a baseball fan. I I love to watch uh, baseball. I love to watch the catchers. And sometimes, you know, that's why that, that's what you got to do. And basically, that's what I did in my career. I I picked some great things from different players, different catchers, and all that, and put it in my in my baseball ability and. You know, and if you do that, you're going to be a great player. You know this. I, you know I wasn't a big base stealer. I'd, I'd pick my spots. I'd steal base. You know that I only got picked off twice in my career? And do you know that you picked me off both times? I'd never been picked off by a catcher from any position except for Ivan Rodriguez. One time you got me in spring training, and I wasn't looking, and I, and you got me in the regular season as well, and I went, I didn't even try to get back to the base. The ball was there. And I looked at you and I started laughing and I said, I've never been picked off before. And then you picked me off again. So I, so you got that. Too. I almost, I almost scream. I almost scream at you. I say, stop talking to the coaches. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, you know, you, well, you know, you know me that that was one of the best things that I did in baseball. Try to pick people from behind, yeah. especially base. But I think to me, the, the, the best play that I always love to do is in third base with two outs. And a lot of catcher doesn't, doesn't, don't, don't do that. And a lot of, I would love to see a lot of catchers do that a little more because that is the only time the runner thinks that the catcher is not going to throw. And especially when the game is on the line, you know, they're going to probably think, no, he's not going to throw to third base because if he throws the balls away, he's going to score. To me, that was the most important play for me behind the play. Maybe maybe you don't, you, you don't know that. Or maybe a lot of people that are going to hear this interview, they're not going to know that. But to me, I know that I threw a lot. I know that I, I, know that I threw a lot of guys in first base, second base, but to me, the one that I loved the most was with two outs, throwing to third base. Highest percentage ever throwing runners out, 45%. Uh, Who are the guys guys that gave you the most trouble? Was it a Ricky? Was it a Kenny Lofton? Who were the guys that gave you the most trouble? To me, me, Kenny Kenny Lofton, very smart base stealer. Roberto Alomar, unbelievable smart base dealer. I mean, those guys are unbelievable, very hard for me to throw them, to throw them out. The reason is not because uh, I just, I, it's not because I throw the ball away. It's just they get such a great jumps out of the, out of the pictures that it's impossible for me to throw them, to throw them out. I always 
ready. I, I was always ready for any any runners uh, to try to steal on me. That's why my percentage was very high, you know, career, because I was always anticipating and ready for it. But, man, every time, you know, Kenny is there or or Roberto Alomar is there, he always still one base or two base on me in every single series that I play against them. That's pretty big. That's pretty big deal. Not too many people stole off you. 2017, you're inducted into the Rangers Hall of Fame, and your number seven's retired. Pretty awesome having your number retired. Being in the Hall of Fame is one thing. Number retired, no one will ever wear that number again. Pretty cool. But the ultimate uh, comes to you in Cooper Cooperstown in 2017. Pudge, I got to go a couple years ago, and I watched uh, Trevor Hoffman get inducted. It was the first time I'd been there in person. And I didn't realize how cool of a place it was. I, I, I thought you see it on TV and you just think it's, you know, a few friends and family, thousand people in the stands. But I remember I was sitting in the front row and I looked back and I said, I had no idea. It was like Woodstock. <laughs> I mean, it just seemed like there was a sea of people. What an awesome venue. Tell me when you got that call. Uh, and I ask a lot of the guys that, that have got inducted in the Hall of Fame. You know, you probably knew you were getting in, <laughs> but until you get that phone call, what goes through your mind? Well, yeah, yes. I mean, it's a dream, a dream, a dream come true to every every baseball player that plays this game for for love and for a lot of heart and just for so many years. Uh, uh, you know, when 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 getting when you start to get in. in I think the Hall of Fame is started like a couple of years before. You got to go five years out of baseball to be in the ballot, you know, first time. And then uh, the last, the, the year four is when kind of like the media and and everything else starts to to come in, you know, to come more into the, into the voting uh, situation. And so it was a, uh, it was a very intense a last four or five months, you know, instead of the voting, uh, the players and all. But when you get that call, uh, it's like, it's like a shocking call. Uh, I think it's like something that you, that you cannot believe when that phone rings because they, because basically they tell you two things. Jeff Iverson, which is the president of Cooperstown, he tells you two things. If you if you get an inductee, I call you. If you're not, the travel secretary from the Rangers call you. And so that was, <laughs> that, yeah, that, that's it. That's two calls. Either John Blake from the Rangers or Jeff Iverson from Cooperstown. So I remember that I was doing, I was in a very good friend of mine that I do business with him. His name is Mike Allen. And I was in his house in Dallas with my family, my son, and I was doing a a very short interview for ESPN there, and and, uh, and then at you know like five o'clock, the phone ring, and it was the uh, New York area, uh, and when I saw the New York area code, I I just I just start checking, you know, like getting nervous. 
And my wife was the person that told me, push the button, you know, answer the phone. Because I was free, I was freestyle. I mean, I got free. I got free. Because I know it was a New York area phone number. So when I called, when I answered, it was Jeff. And Jeff, you know, started talking to me a few minutes and congrats, you know, just kind of like Jeff Iverson from a, uh, you know, Cooperstown Baseball Hall of Fame. And then when he told me that I'd been uh, elected as 2017 first ballot Hall of Famer, I was start crying. I was start like, you know, getting tears, you know. All my friends started to jump right behind me. My wife was hugging me. My son, the baseball player, was right there with me. And it was a great, it was a great moment. It's like, it's like an unbelievable call that you receive in your life. I know that you have, you know, I have so many blessings in my life that I don't have no complaints that getting that call means that I did pretty much everything. Kind of like, okay, I'm in, I'm where it's the best of the best. And I'm going to be there in the same, in that same museum. It's like an unbelievable feeling. You mentioned your son was there, and and I've got a son. He's just starting out this year. It's his first year in A ball. I know your son. Uh, he's been to the big leagues. He was in the big leagues in 2018. When we talked before we set up this this interview, you were talking about you were on the road in Houston and you were going to see your son play. Give give uh, Brett Boone some advice because I'm finding it, Pudge. It's tough. It, it's so hard playing this game that we played for so long. But it's harder for me to watch my son play. Uh, tell me, give me some advice. He, he's he's well, been in pro gonna, a little longer than me. I'm you an advice like a brother, my friend, because you are a good friend of mine, okay? And um, look, I get nervous like you won't believe. I mean, it's true. He's not going to. That's <laughs> not, it's not going to go away from you, okay? And, it's, and, and that's the same way it happens when I see my son pitch, okay? He's a. Uh, it's a starting pitcher, and and you know that you're gonna see him right there pitching, and he's gonna he's he's gonna throw seventy five seventy five seventy six eighty pitches that I wish I can be behind the plate because I know every single one of them what I like him to throw. And sometimes when he throws the opposite one, I just close my eyes and say, no, that's not the one that I wanted to see. <laughs> okay, because obviously I've been there. I've been there for so many, so many years that I know the sequel, right? But, but again, I think besides that, it's a blessing that we have a a a, a kid plays the same sport that you play, the same sport that we love, the same sport that they grew up. I remember my son Derek. We, was in the clubhouse since one year old in Pampers. We know when Jersey is sitting right next to Nolan Ryan and watching Nolan Ryan and Ryan took him, you know, to, to the gym and he just go after him. And now he's 29 years old, play three play with already four years in the big leagues already. And so to me, that that's a blessing. And obviously, even though there is going to be, you know, fail and do good. It's going to be a balance of good and bad. At the end, uh, we have to feel very happy and proud to see our kids 
play baseball at the professional level, no matter what. It's tough to keep up with you. You got a lot of stuff going on. Tell me about Pudge's Pizza. Tell me about your coffee brand. And what else you got going on uh, post-career? <laughs> well, I, 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 have a, I have a few things. Thank God that I met some great people in my baseball career that I'm doing business with them for, for a long time. Uh, my, you know, my main, my main business is in the energy, obviously. Uh, I'm doing some, uh, some, you know, I have some projects in Texas with some uh, partners in Texas and in Puerto Rico, I'm doing some, uh, project energy projects in Puerto Rico and in Dominican Republic. And, we are doing very well. We just getting close in Puerto Rico to 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 finish a a pretty good deal, which is a dream deal for me. No, no, only because it's a it's a it's a pretty good business. It's just because Puerto Rico needs that you know that to be fixed. The energy problem in Puerto Rico has been really bad, and and the solutions that bringing into Puerto Rico, I think, is going to be kind of like. Uh, not everything, but at least a piece of the situation that we're going through right now in in Puerto Rico. Uh, I have a coffee company, which is uh, the coffee company. I have it in my hometown in Vega Baja, and I have I have a hundred employees there working in the farm. I I got a, a thousand acres of full of coffee trees there. And all 100 people are people that I grew up with, and I played Little League baseball with them. And so, to me, that's the best thing that I see day in and day out. Every time I go to Puerto Rico, that I see them there and, and, and knowing people that I grew up since little kid. Uh, and the lab is also there, and and we all we you know we we make over 750,000 trees every year from the lab and we donate uh one tree to every every coffee culture in puerto rico so we're growing you know the island is not big uh, and so the more coffee that the more coffee that we can have in our lands in puerto rico the the better the company obviously is going to be uh the pizza restaurant i started in in Texas, uh, Texas Life. I started my first one there. It's doing very well. And now the second one is uh, the is a district, T-Mobile Design District in Puerto Rico, right there in San Juan. And it's a brand new building that a very good friend of mine built, which is is like a, it's a, it's like a big type with theaters and restaurants and. And, 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 and theaters to people to watch concerts and my restaurant is is also also there and, uh, and I'm doing a few other more things that you know that I'm working on and doing great uh, I'm, I'm very you know I'm very positive in, in doing things and continue I still a lot of I still have a lot of energy ahead of me and I just want to use that energy to continue doing great things in life. Very cool. You've accomplished a lot, Budge. All-star games, gold gloves, silver sluggers. You won an MVP. 
uh, in the NLCS, you won a world championship in 2003. What are you most proud of? I think I, 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 I'm most proud of basically the, you know, obviously when you win in a World Series, I know that I, I received a lot of great awards in, in, my, in my career. Uh, obviously, you know, winning the World Series is a totally team effort. It's not an individual award that you receive. Obviously, you're getting a trophy. But basically, it's only one trophy, and it's the big one. And that's the one that is going to be in that Marlin Stadium for life. You know, when they say 1999 World Champs, you know, Marlins, you know, Florida Marlins, that is a, a very good award to 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 hold. You know, at the end at the end of the year, because uh, you, know, you know that. I mean, you've been there. You know, when you when you get those kind of awards. Is a is is a grind. Is a thing ever. Is everything starts in spring training, all the way to 162 games, and then from 162 to the playoff and all the up and downs that you gotta go through, and all that eight months of grind. At the end, you know, in October, be able just to to raise that trophy in the middle of the diamond. That's I don't think is nothing better than that as a as a thing ever. You know, just kind of like. That obviously being in Cooperstown is 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 um I mean <laughs> yes it is an unbelievable uh, award that I that I have not only for not only for myself I think it's for my family especially for my mom and dad those are those two are the one that raised me the right way told me that the the, the things that I need to be followed as respecting people and just having a great discipline and just be able to be there in 2017 and be in that stage and see them in front of me and say all the words that I say to the, you know, to my dad in front of 28,000 people. That's nothing that has a better feeling than that. That's awesome. Pudge Rodriguez, Hall of Famer, uh, great guy. And I, I appreciate you coming on here. It was an honor. And Pudge, what we do each and every Boone podcast at the end, we bring Dan Levy, the voice of the podcast, in for a question from the fans. Dan? Okay. How are you, Pudge? <laughs> good How to talk doing? to you. How are you? Doing good. All right. This question comes from Jerry in Chicago. Pudge, have you ever met the other Pudge Carlton Fisk? And if you did, what did he have to say about having the same nickname? Well, I did, I did meet him a long, long time ago when we play against. We never play together in the same team, but we play against uh, you know, uh, late, you know, Carlton late in his career. But I think uh, I think he played like two or three years before he retired against me, and and obviously is is. It's great. I mean, basically, uh, the name of uh, uh, Pudge, you know, obviously he, he got it first, but basically my, you know, the way they put me, my Pudge name was because I'm short and stocky. And basically that's what the name is. It comes from, they call me Pudge. I was a coaching in, in, in my, his name is Chino Carajia. Then, 
when I was 16, I came to spin training and I was five, six, 180, 125 pounds. And I just started catching and receiving great. And he called me a punch. I don't think if you ask uh, Chino, uh, I don't think he means to, because Captain Viz, I think he probably did it because I was short. I was a little guy and, you know, with a lot of talent, but just to have the same big name, uh, you know, the big, the big punch and, and the short punch, having, you know, having great careers, and we both in the Hall of Fame using the same nickname. I think they should, they should a lot of a lot of more casual, They should put this name because that name works. <laughs> <laughs> so the name Pudge works for everybody. Great, Pudge Rodriguez. Thanks so much for coming on the podcast. We appreciate it, sir. All right. Thank you for having me. Mailbag. All right, Boone, you know that sound, don't you? It is mailbag time for Dan Levy. Mailbag oh, for me. time. Okay, Brett, this one comes from Mike in Reno. And how did you get the nickname The Boone? The Boone. Um, it was Mark McLemore, 2001. I was doing an interview, and uh, Mac had played with my dad in Anaheim. And he went up to the reporters. I probably had five or six reporters around me. And, you know, he was just kind of, as we do, I think it was after a big win and, and everybody was in a good mood. Mac was kind of messing around and he popped his head in and he said, guys, this isn't Booney. I played with Booney. That's his dad. He goes, this is the Boon. <laughs> and I just kind of looked at him and he kept saying it, the Boon, the Boon. And so the, the reporters started calling me, okay. Well, what does the Boone think about this? And it that's how it's simple as that. As innocent as that, it started there and then it just kind of caught on and and they rolled with it. And, you know, by the end of the 2001 season, everybody, you know, teammates, uh, members of the press, uh, opponents, other teams, other players say, hey, the Boone. And I, and I would laugh and I, I kind of played off and it was fun for me. But uh, that's how it started. All right. And finally, this one comes from Hank in Dallas. Brett, have you ever given anyone a nickname yourself? And what's the best nickname in baseball? Oh, man, you're making me draw a blank, and I never draw a blank. I don't know what nickname. I, I, I Edgar's was Poppy, and that was before Poppy, you know, the uh, David Big Ortiz Bobby. was kind of known as Poppy, but Edgar Martinez was Poppy. I, I had a buddy in uh, my first baseman in Cincinnati, Hal Morris, and they called him the snake because he moved like a snake. I guess like a cobra. But uh, I thought that was cool. I thought that was a cool name, Snake. And still to this day, you know, I, hey, what's up, Snake? So uh, there's a lot of nicknames. Everybody seems like has a nickname. They shorten their name. Uh, add something to the end of their name, but there's a lot of them out there. Um, so I'm going to go with, I'm going to go with the snake and Al Morris. I like the big heart and I always like the rocket for uh, Roger Clemens. I always thought that one was pretty cool. Yeah. Those are too mainstream though. Everybody knows those. You got to pick one that nobody knows. See, well, you, don't knows know. you just said what, Al your, Morris what, what, your, fa- what your favorite one is. That's not to be underground. That's to be underground. What's your favorite one? I don't really have a favorite Dan. Uh, nicknames are nicknames. Junior. You know? uh, you play, it feels like you play yeah, with I, a lot I, of people. I just, I, I just did a, uh, 
just a little bit of a reunion back in Cincinnati with a lot of my ex-Reds teammates. And uh, Chris Sabo was there. And his name was Spuds because they named him after the dog from Spuds McKenzie. <laughs> so called him Spuds. That's funny to me. Hey, Spuds. That you know, is, that it is it seems like funny. everybody, everybody has a nickname, you know, and, and you, you make them up as you go. You know, Mike Cameron, he was Cameron, you know, Johnny Olerud, Big Rude, Edgar, Poppy, Jay Buhner, uh, one of my earliest mentors, The Bone. I, I would think uh, I would think Doc Gooden would have to be because it, it pretty much replaced his name. Like most people yeah, just know him as yeah. Doc. I mean, Norm Norm Charlton's a good good friend of mine, uh, great teammate. You know, he was the he was the sheriff. So it seems like everybody's got a nickname. You know, my locker mate was Willie Bloomquist. He was a utility player with us in in Seattle, and uh, Boom Boom Bloomberg. You know, that's what I used to call him. And it's like, where do these names come from? Everybody, you just kind of make them up on the fly. You got to just make them up. Well, the new nickname I like for you the most, and that is the Boone Podcast. And that it'll do it here for this here Boone Podcast. My name is Dan Levy. I'm the technical director and producer of the Boone Podcast. Executive producer is Rich Herrera. Digital content that all gets put out by Liz Landry. Please share the Boone Podcast with neighbors and friends and make sure you subscribe to the Boone Podcast so you never miss an episode of the show. And while you're at it, please give us a five-star rating and share your feelings about the Boone Podcast by leaving a review on whatever platform you you listen to the show. For all of us here on the Boom Podcast, I am Dan Levy. Thanks for listening.